Hey, good morning, Woodlands Church. Good morning. Can you say good morning, Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're the Hormans, Eric, Courtney, and Eddie. And we're just excited <laughs> to tune in uh, with you guys this morning to the morning service. Uh, we're just blessed to be a part of uh, the community with you guys, both uh, digitally as well as uh, physically present when we can be. <laughs> so this is kind of what our morning will look like. We're excited to be worshiping with you guys and we can't wait till we can be back physically together. But in the meantime, we hope you have a great morning. And Eddie says, have a great day. <laughs> Hey, Woodlands Church, we're so glad that you are with us this morning or this weekend, whenever or wherever you're watching. We want to extend a special welcome uh, to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day weekend. We're so thankful for you and thankful that you're with us uh, today. As we begin, I want to read from Psalm 125. It says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. It cannot be shaken, it remains forever. The mountains surround Jerusalem, and the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forever. What a good reminder for us as we find ourselves in this extremely strange season, right, where our normal lives have been interrupted and we may feel like we are shaken, uh, but that verse reminds us that the Lord surrounds us, that he is with us, and we have hope because he is our God, he's our king, and we are his people. And so let's remind our hearts of that as we sing, and let's sing together this morning.
of who you are, God, a reminder that you are sovereign over all things, that you're, that you're holy, that you're good, and that we can be seen as, as sons and daughters of the King, God, that you look at us, and if, if we've put our hope and trust in you, you see perfection when you look at us. And God, we know that when things come into our lives that we don't expect, God, when there's suffering, God, that it produces a glory that outweighs all of that. For Lord, we know that, that heaven is our home, and so we want to cling to that, cling to our citizenship in that kingdom. And so we give you all the glory, and we love you, we worship you, and everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, to all you moms and grandmas and great-grandmas out there, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day weekend. I hope you have a fantastic Mother's Day. I know it's not going to feel the same, but I hope you're blessed and help you get to enjoy some time with your family, whether that's in person or on Zoom, like a lot of us are doing these days. One of the things that we've learned about uh, online church is that you can turn me off whenever you want to, unlike when we're in person. So I just wanted to say to you moms, grandmas, and great-grandmas, stick around till the end because we have something special that we've prepared for you. Psalm 73 was written by a man named Asaph, and Asaph was in this psalm reflecting on how embittered he had become in his spirit as he saw injustice and evil in the world. And here's what he wrote. He said, when my heart was embittered, I was pierced within. I was senseless. I was ignorant. I was like a beast before you, God. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you guide me. 
and afterward you receive me to glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh, my heart may fail or falter, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. And then he says, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Today we want to think about that great truth, the nearness of God, of how he desires to be in an intimate relationship with us. That's going to be the focus this morning. We're in a series here at Woodlands Church called Grounded and Going. And uh, the big idea of this series is that we want to be grounded in some major truths and significant passages of Scripture that give us strength and uh, hope for the future and strength for each day that we face. So we're going to be in Psalm 139, a a wonderful passage of the Bible which talks about the nearness of God to us. I'm going to use as my title, I'm going to steal a title this morning from a book by John Ortberg called God is Closer Than You Think. Great uh, book. And uh, that's what we want to think about. And while it is, as psalmist, as the psalmist said in 73, while it is our great good to be near God, it is his great desire for that to happen. And he made that possible. That's why he sent his son. That's why we proclaim the gospel because the gospel talks about how we can be brought back into a relationship with God through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Ortberg in chapter one of this phenomenal little book that he wrote about the nearness of God said this. He said, the story of the Bible isn't primarily about the desire of people to be with God. It is about the desire of God to be with people. He goes on to say the central promise in the Bible is not I will forgive you, although of course that promise is there. It's also not the promise of life after death, although we're offered that as well. But the most frequent promise in the Bible is I am with you. The nearness of God. He's closer than we think and we want to Think about that today. So if you have your Bibles, again, open them to Psalm 139. We're going to look at uh, four truths today about the nearness of God. Psalm 139. And I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard Version. If you happen to be watching in the virtual venue, there's a little pull-down, drop-down tab. You can click on uh, the Bible and pick the version that you want. I'll be in the New American Standard. Let me read beginning at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. The first truth that God wants us to know is that he knows us, that God knows us. And the the psalmist here goes to great lengths to show us how completely, how deeply, how profoundly, how intimately he does know us. Just look at the verses again in these first verses. He begins by saying, God, you've searched me and known me. You get this picture of God looking closely at all of us and knowing us deeply and knowing us completely, profoundly, knowing us intimately. He goes on to say, you know when I sit down 
and when I rise up. And as we go through these first few verses, you'll notice the, the depth of God's knowledge it gets deeper. I mean, the, how he proclaims it, it gets deeper. So he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. It's the kind of thing that we don't know about each other, right? How many times a day do we sit down and do we rise up? Let's imagine a scenario. Let's imagine that for some strange reason you're stuck in your house with just your family for days and days on end. Not that that would ever happen. Oh wait, it is happening. So in this shelter at home period that we're in, do you know how many times your children sit down and rise up? Do you know how many times your spouse sits down? Of course you don't. This text says God knows that about us. He knows when we sit down. He knows when we rise up. He goes even deeper in the next phrase. He says, God, you understand my thought from afar. That part about us which we often think of and, and it feels like it's the most intimate, private part about us, our thoughts. He knows them, every one of them. And when it throws in that little phrase from afar, it's not to say that God is far, he's not, but to say, though we might think of him that way, though we might imagine him up in heaven, the reality is he knows our thoughts. Goes on to say next, you scrutinize my path and my lying down. And uh, some of your versions of the Bible have in the margin, the word for scrutinize means to winnow. It was a word to use to sift grain. And it's this picture of God sorting through and knowing about all the details of our life. And so the next phrase says, you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Verse four goes even deeper because it says, God, even before I speak, before there's a word on my tongue, you know what that word is going to be. Behold, O Lord, you have enclosed me behind and before. That language, behind and before, because he's just said, before I speak, you know, seems to be a time-based thing. So what he's saying is, God, your knowledge of me is so intimate and so complete that you know all the details about my past you know all the details about my future before they've even happened. You read these verses, when I read these verses, and when we read them and think about them, it reminds us of this truth about God that he, as an eternal being, exists outside of time. That he sees all of time vividly. He sees what happened in 1920 as vividly now as he sees what happens in 2020 or 1720 or 10, 20. He knows exactly what you were wearing, what you were thinking, what you were doing when you were 14 years old or 10 years old or whatever. This is who our God is. To use a phrase from my generation, when the psalmist thinks about that, realizes that, his mind is blown. Look at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I, it's so high. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around this truth, the psalmist says that your knowledge of me is so profound. His mind is blown. And he uses another word for it. He says, such knowledge is wonderful to me. Remember Psalm, or excuse me, Isaiah 9, 6, when Jesus is prophesied as the coming one, it says a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor. What makes the counsel of our Savior Jesus so wonderful is because it's perfect counsel based on perfect knowledge of us. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. He understands 
more about us than we understand about ourselves. So it's a wonderful truth that God knows us, but it's also a fearful truth, is it not? It's a fearful truth in the sense that there's nothing that is hidden from his sight. It ought to inspire in us reverence for him and awe for who he is. God is closer than we think. That's the first truth that God knows us. There's a second truth in the next set of verses, which we're going to read starting in verse 7, so follow along. Where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. The second truth that reminds us of just how close God is that's brought out in these verses is that he leads us. That he leads us. You know, when you first read this, it seems like this is an exploration and a statement of and about the presence of God, the omnipresence of God, that his presence is a universal thing, that it's everywhere we go. And certainly it is that, but it's even more than that. But the psalmist explores, David the psalmist is exploring, thinking about the reality of the presence of God. So he asks a rhetorical question in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And then he begins to catalog the possibilities. You know, if I ascend to heaven, the realm of God, you're there. If I go to Sheol, the realm of the dead, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, wherever the sun rises, the ancients didn't understand the workings of the planet and the universe. If I take the wings to the dawn, there you are. If I go to the depths of the sea, they had no idea how deep that was. It was just vast to them. But even there, there you are. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Again, to the ancient minds, darkness was a threatening place. But the psalmist is saying, because of your presence, it's not threatening to you they're the same to you light and darkness so the psalmist is saying go back to the question of seven and look at the question again because the question kind of comes in two parts he begins by saying where can I go from your presence that's sort of neutral where on earth could I possibly go that when I get there you won't be there God and the answer is nowhere there's nowhere I can go where you are not The second question is not neutral, it's willful. Where can I flee? Is there a place where I can run and try and get away from you, where I can hide from you, where I can escape from you if I want to? And again, the answer is, there's no place like that. The point that he's making in this psalm is this, in this this section. He's saying, wherever I find myself in life, I will find you there. Wherever I might run in life to get away from you, to hide from you, I cannot because there you are. But this is not just a passive 
exploration of the presence of God in these verses. He's not just saying God is everywhere, but he's saying God is everywhere to lead his children. Look at the key verse there in verse 10. Even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. As he walks through these extremes of places, he says, yeah, but the truth is that wherever I go, you're leading me. You're holding on to me. You are actively engaged in my life. This is a powerful truth to remind us that God is far closer than we realize. He's constantly going before us and leading us. We have been uh, reading in the book of Exodus together in Woodlands in the Word, if you're doing the Old Testament portion of that. And uh, we're into the section now where God has delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. And as soon as he gets them out of Egyptian captivity, there's, and as he leads them out of Egypt, there's this constant presence which will stay with them through all the years that they're going to wander in the wilderness. There is this constant presence of a cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night that leads them that goes before them, that guides them. God has just shaped and formed a people that he's brought out of captivity. And one of the first lessons he teaches them is, I'm going to be the one who goes before you. I'm going to be the one who leads you. And this truth, this reality of this God who's closer than we know and is always leading us is spread throughout the pages of Scripture, not just here in Psalm 139, but many places. Let me give you just a couple other ones just from the Psalms alone though it says it in lots of books of the Bible. Psalm 32 uh, verses 8 and 9 for instance say this. God's speaking and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. And I love this next phrase. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I know you And I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to counsel you. And so he says to us in the next verse, so don't be like a horse or a mule which have no understanding whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. He says, don't resist my leading of your life. Celebrate it. Depend on it. Rejoice in it. Here's how God's leading and guiding is described in Psalm 37. Verse 23. The steps of a person are established by the Lord and he, the Lord, delights in his way or her way. When a person falls, they will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds their hand. Again, this this twin emphasis on God's leading us, God's holding us that came also from Psalm 139. Even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. One more from the Psalms. Psalm 48, verse 14 ends, Psalm 48 ends with this statement about God. This is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us until death. This is the God that we love and who loves us. This is the God who is closer than we think. Wherever we go, He still leads us and he still directs us. There's a third truth about God in Psalm 139 that reminds us of just how near to us he is. So go back to Psalm 139. Let's pick it up at verse 13. God, you formed me 
you, excuse me, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, because your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The third truth about God that reminds us of his nearness to us brought out in these verses is that he forms us. To understand his point in these verses, you have to look at the extremes of where he goes in this little section. He begins with our beginning. And he says in verse 13, God, you formed me. You formed my inward parts. You wove me together. Poetic language to say, God, you were intimately controlling, directing my genetics, my formation, my creation. I was crafted by you, the psalmist is saying, and then my ending is formed by him as well because in verse 16 he says, he says, in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. So from our beginning to our ending, the last days that were, all the days that were ordained for us, God forms us. He formed us at our beginning, the beginning of our lives, and he continues to shape us and form us as we go through life. Let's step back a minute and think about forming in our mother's womb. Moms, it's Mother's Day. You have a special insight, and this passage speaks powerfully to you. Because we know, and you know, moms in particular, how God shapes the personality of even small children You know, moms, that when children are newborns, it's not too long before you can discern differences between your children, when you can discern bents, when you can tell, is this a more passive child? Is this a strong-willed child? Is this a child that James Dobson wrote the book Strong-Willed Child about because this child is so strong-willed? You see those tendencies from early on. So God shapes our genetics. He shapes our character, our personality, our strengths. Moms, I want you to think about this on Mother's Day weekend for a second. Think about the profound picture this is of what God is doing in your nine months of pregnancy. Your bodies, you could say, moms, are on loan to God in a sense during that period. As your creator is creating inside of you another image bearer, another person who will be immortal. What an incredible calling that is that God has given to you to have that role. Yes, we can study and we can understand the biology of that process, but it's still a miraculous thing that God asks you to do. Look at the middle and the ending of this formation of us in verse 16 again of Psalm 139. It says, God, you saw my unformed substance. And and this phrase, in your book were 
all written, all, all, what's the all referring to? The next phrase, all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. So the picture in these verses is of a God who shapes us from the very beginning of life and shapes us all through our lives to bring us to his ends, to his purposes. It's a powerful portrayal of God's intimate involvement in our lives. What comes from within us based on our personality and our genetics and a lot of things, he shaped what comes at us from outside of us to make us who we are and to lead us to his purposes for us. He guides and directs. He's intimately acquainted, to go back to verse 4 of this psalm, he is intimately acquainted, or excuse me, to verse 3, he's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. The Bible reveals that our natures are formed by God, our hairs are numbered by God, Jesus said, and our days are ordained by God. This is a powerful picture of a God who shapes and forms our lives. John Ortberg, in uh, this book of his, um, tells a story about being on an airplane that I want to share with you today. Uh, I'll just read portions of it. He says, one day I was sitting on a plane next to a businessman. The screensaver on his computer was, was the picture of a little boy taking what looked like his first shaky step. Is that your son? I asked. Big mistake. Yes, that was the man's son, his only child. Let's say his name was Adam. The picture on the, com on the computer was taken three months earlier when Adam was 11 months old. The man told me about his son's first step and first word with a sense of wonder as if Adam had invented locomotion and speech. There was a more recent picture of Adam on the man's phone. The man showed it to me, but he explained to me that the picture actually showed up better on his computer, so he showed it to me on his computer as well. He had a whole string of pictures of Adam doing things that pretty much all children do, and he displayed them for me one at a time with commentary. I and my seatmates got a graduate course in Adamology. I can't wait to get home to him, the man said. In the meantime, I could look at these pictures a hundred times a day. They never get old to me. They were already getting pretty tiresome to everybody else in the section of the plane. Ortberg asked the question, so why was the man so preoccupied with Adam? Was it because the boy's achievements were so impressive? No, millions of children learn to do the same things every day. My own children, he writes, I wanted to tell him had done the same things at an earlier age and with superior skill. No, the man was preoccupied with Adam because he looked at him through the eyes of a father. Everything Adam did was cloaked with wonder. It didn't matter what other children did. He looked at him through the eyes of a father. So I, and then I asked him, you obviously miss your son, I said. How long ago did you leave home? Oh, yesterday, he said. He looked at him through the eyes of a father. And so God looks at us through the eyes of a father he knows us intimately. He leads us faithfully. He forms and shapes our lives. He's closer than we think. 
The psalmist is caught up in the wonder of this in verse 17 and 18. He says, God, how precious are all of, when I think about all the thoughts you must have about all the people on the earth and about me, the, it's the vast sum of them. It's greater than the sand that's on the seashore. And then he uses this little phrase, you know, when I, when I go to sleep and I'm unconscious for eight hours, I wake up, you're still there. Thinking about me, leading me, forming and shaping me. He's far closer than we think. There's one final section of this psalm that we want to read that uh, gives us another truth that reminds us that God is closer than we think. Let's start at verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. You know, you, you read those verses and you kind of, it feels like they're out of place. David is having this deep reflection about the intimacy of God in his life, and then all of a sudden, he launches out in what seems like a tirade against wicked people. What, you kind of wonder, what in the world is going on here? Well, here's what's going on. Here's how it fits together. David has just been reflecting on this holy, omnipotent, intimately involved God in our lives, and it causes him to remember that he's holy, that he's good, that he's engaged. And David is overwhelmed with the thought inside that he doesn't want to offend this holy God that is so involved in his life. He doesn't want to be alienated because of his sin. So he says, I don't want to have anything to do with wickedness. And so he ends the psalm with a prayer. Let's look at it in verse 23, or 23 and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. The fourth truth about God that is revealed here is that God searches us. That God searches us. I don't know if you noticed, uh, but if you look that this psalm ends with this same verb. At verse 1, the psalm says, God, you've searched me and known me. And in verse 23, the psalmist says, God, search me. So how do, how do those two fit together they fit together like this at the beginning is a statement of truth about God God you search us you have searched us you know everything about us there's nothing you don't see there's nothing you don't know about us you've searched us and known us this is a statement of reality in verse 1 in verse 23 he's asking God not to know him but he's asking God to take the knowledge that he has about him and reveal it to him. This is a prayer to say, God, that intimate knowledge that you have of me, search me to reveal it to me. Let me know, and specifically he says, let me know about my anxious thoughts. Let me know what's going on in my heart, that innermost place. Look into my life, my behaviors, my thoughts, my reactions, and see if there's anything in me that's self-destructive because I don't even understand myself. This is one of the more profound prayers of Scripture, but it's based on this truthfulness of God's intimate knowledge of us. And so 
David ends his psalm by saying, God, because you know me so well, because you lead me so faithfully, because you shape me and form me and guide me, would you now also take that knowledge that you have of me and show me where I'm straying, where I'm erring, where my life needs correction, redirection? Search me, O God, know my heart. And then he prays, lead me in the way everlasting. It's a great place to end the psalm like this where David ends it. He's doing what we always should do when we read scripture. He's taking truths about God that he's thought deeply about and then applying them to a prayer. I think it'd be appropriate if we closed our time in the word by praying that same prayer over ourselves today. So please join me as I lead us in prayer. Father, we have seen in your word today that you know us far better than we know ourselves. That you are everywhere present, but you are present to bless, present to lead, present to hold us. And from the moment of our conception to our final breath, you are intimately acquainted with all of our ways. You shape us and form us. So God, today as we sit or stand or rest in your presence as we pause we ask you would you search us right now search the anxiety that's in us help us to understand it about ourselves search what's going on inside of us search and reveal to us what hurtful ways there might be in us that are both hurtful to ourselves and hurtful to each others to to others God, search us and know us and then lead us in the everlasting way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we want to conclude our service today by just honoring you moms. You know, if we were here in person doing church uh, every Mother's Day, we make sure that we have roses available for moms and we have moms stand in the congregation and and uh, you get to stand and look at other moms around you in the room, and then we pray for you. And uh, so we're going to pray for you today like we normally do. And though you can't see each other, you're going to kind of be able to see each other for a second. So what you're about to see is we asked you about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, we asked you in one of our video updates to send pictures of yourself, moms of Woodlands, grandmas of Woodlands, with your kids, your grandkids, and a whole bunch of you responded. So what you're going to see now is a series of pictures of Woodlands families, Woodlands moms and grandmoms and their kids and grandkids. And uh, as those shots are rolling, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. But hey, moms, especially pray with eyes wide open. I'm going to lead in a prayer. And while I'm praying, you just keep your eyes on the screen and watch these wonderful pictures roll by of your fellow moms and grandmoms here in Woodlands Church. God, thank you for moms and grandmoms and great-grandmoms. We celebrate them today. Thank you for the profound and lifelong influence you have entrusted to them. In your good plan and infinite wisdom, you have used them to nurture us and care for us and shape our lives. Each of us remembers powerful moments when we have been blessed and refreshed and helped by their love for us. Thank you for that love. Thank you for their sacrifice and service their tenderness and patience, their teaching and their training. 
The world is filled with stories of women who have given up so much, so often, and so long for the sake of their children. They have prayed for us, cried over us, celebrated with us, and walked with us. And this honors you and pleases you and is part of your plan to bless the world through good and godly moms. And when those Christian moms who have laid down their lives on behalf of their children stand before you, they will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray for moms and grandmoms today that you will fill them with joy, that you will fill them with persevering and daily strength given by your spirit to remain faithful to this high call that you've placed on their lives. For those moms who are just starting this journey, Father, give them wisdom, give them a clear and compelling vision and a deep understanding of this call. For those moms with several active and growing and tiring children under their roofs whose lives are often marked by long days and short nights and the relentless fatigue of this high call, Father, give them endurance. Remind them when those days are long and those nights are short that you are using them to shape image bearers, to impact destinies, to form character. Remind them, Jesus, that you are calling them to live like you lived, laying down their lives on behalf of, of others. Remind them that you too were so exhausted by your ministry to those you love that you fell asleep in a boat in a stormy sea. And now you bid them to follow you and to live like you. For those moms and grandmoms with adult children and empty nests, remind them of the high call that remains on their lives to continue to influence, nurture, and shape their families through their prayers, their support, their encouragement, and their help as needed. Give them, too, a vision of what it means to finish the race of motherhood in a way that honors you, blesses their families, and satisfies their souls. Father, once again, we thank you for the moms among us who have and who continue to pour out their lives on behalf of their children and their families. Though this Mother's Day may be very different because of the limitations imposed by this pandemic, fill their day with joy and a renewed sense of their high calling and with strength to continue to be a channel of blessing to those they love. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, we're the Hendricks family. Thanks for worshiping with us this Sunday and have, have a happy, happy Mother's Day. Day. Mother's Day. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> we love Mother's Day for our mothers.